a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East Tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and here we go breaking out from our festive cocoons and welcoming in a new year. And despite all of those collective wishes over the new year, our government remains in place, which means it's down to the likes of this podcast to retake the cudgels and highlight the multifarious issues surrounding the green agenda. The man with his Christmas tree firmly in the shredder is the environmentalist and entrepreneur Dale Vince. Morning, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian. Did you actually have a Christmas tree? That's no, the- no, I didn't. Or I didn't have a Christmas jumper either. I've never done the Christmas jumper. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, it's kind of akin to fancy dress, you know, and I, I don't go a bundle on that either, so. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. What have we got on the menu today, then? We are busy here because, I mean, well, let's start with the energy crisis. You've been around the, the media outlets this morning. Um, you're on the telly more than Piers Morgan at the moment. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> you've done the radio, you've done Good Morning Britain. Um, and this is really about the energy crisis. And I know you've been shouting from the rafters about how there are potential solutions to this. Yeah, I'm not a very shouty person, really. What I've been trying to do is introduce a little bit of common sense and a little bit of logic, actually, into the debate. And, you know, there are three things that, that jump out of this for me in terms of what the government could and should do. The first one is a windfall tax on the North Sea because the guys operating there have been supplying gas to Britain through this winter crisis, have made a £20 billion windfall profit because of the global price of gas. So even though it's our North Sea supplying 40% of our gas, we've paid almost 10 times more for that than we normally do. So that's a great case for a windfall profit. And that £20 pretty much approximates to what the retail industry says it's cost it through this winter. So we can balance things out. There's a 20 billion sized hole in the retail industry and a 20 billion sized gain in the North Sea in the wholesale industry, basically. And this shows the kind of half-assed nature of the government's price cap because they've only capped retail prices, not wholesale. And that's what's driven 26 uh, companies to the wall this winter already. So that's number one, windfall tax in the North Sea. Number two, is take government taxes off of our energy bills. So the government makes a big fuss about high energy prices. It wrings its hands. It says, we've got a price cap. We're protecting you, all this kind of stuff. But what it doesn't say is that it takes £9 billion a year from our energy bills in the form of taxes. There's VAT on the one hand, but there's also five different government programs funded through energy bills. Tory MPs that are climate skeptics like to call these green measures, but they're not. They're social and environmental. Three of them support renewable energy. Two of them support fuel poverty. But it's nine billion in total, or three hundred pounds per household. And when the price cap goes up in April, it's expected to be around about seven hundred quid. So the government could take half that pain away 
if it just took its fingers out of the tills when it comes to energy bills. And, you know, there are plenty of parallels to this, or or in fact, there are none. It's only in energy where the government puts this kind of tax on. We don't have it in food. We we all spend five times more on food in this country than we do energy, and food poverty is therefore a much bigger issue than energy poverty. We don't have VAT on food. The subsidies we put to farmers, two and a half billion a year, we don't add them to food bills. Uh, and, and in energy, we just do all kinds of wrong. So that's issue number two. Take that nine billion of tax off of our energy bills. Number three is don't add more cost to energy bills. Right now, the government are looking to add the cost of failure to our energy bills. Four million stranded customers this winter are going to cost four billion pounds to have their credit balances guaranteed and their access to artificially cheap energy guaranteed. That Four billion pounds must not be added back onto our energy bills, but that's currently government thinking. Um, so there you have it: one, two, and three. Windfall tax. Take the nine billion off of our energy bills in the form of stealth taxes, and don't add any more. Is anyone listening to this? I mean, are, are you? I mean, this is extraordinary. I mean, this seems like kind of sixth form yeah. workings out. Most people, I think, would look at what you've just said or hear what you've said, and say, so, "Well, that." It's very hard to find the flaw in any of that, and, and people are looking at their energy bills literally doubling in a you know over the course of this year. Then surely the government would have to act. And as you say, they don't do this on food, and their argument about that would be, well, food is crucial. Well, the last time I looked, so is energy. So why not? I mean, who, who's not joining the dots here? Yeah. I mean, trains, we put two billion a year to subsidize trains. We don't add that cost to train tickets. We subsidize flying. We don't add that cost to flying prices. We subsidize fossil fuels the most of anything in our economy. It's only in energy where we add the cost of support uh, for renewable energy and energy efficiency in this case to actual energy bills, which is regressive because the people that can afford it least pay the same as the people that can afford it the most. Well, what's with interest? You mentioned fossil fuels. I saw this other story that fossil fuel companies are the biggest spenders on Google ads, um, and it makes it look like you're searching kind of normal stuff, and yet what comes out is a, you know an ad for Shell or something. Yeah, I saw that. Pretty horrific. Uh, the thing that stood out for me most from this story is that uh, 50% of people who were asked said they couldn't tell the difference between a sponsored ad and an actual link. And, you know, that's obviously the way that Google presents it. And uh, for me, that brings the story back to the case, the urgent case for proper regulation of these online entities. You know, you couldn't get away with that in the advertising industry in Britain here, the ASA would be all over you like a flash, you know. Uh, it's misleading. You can't get away with stuff like that in energy bills, in water bills. You know, you've got to be super clear, and it's not yeah. super clear. So, you know, if if half people are looking at this think it's a proper link, that's even worse. Well, right, yeah. I mean, th- there's the problem. I, I thought that was – I thought that kind of breached something because, you know, certainly <laughs> in the world of newspapers, you can't make um, – uh, as they call it, an advertorial where, you know, somebody has, you know, it's fine, you can pay for an advertorial, but that is made clear that this is not news, that it's an, a paid-for ad. And exactly. You might think that, uh, and so it should be, and you might think that <laughs> with the online world, <laughs> you know, a, a small company like Google might be onto that as well. Yeah. They are forever saying we are, you know, tackling misinformation. Yeah, there's an urgent case for proper regulation of those online companies, Facebook, Google, Twitter, yeah. everybody. I mean, it, currently it's a wild west. You know, it's a it's a new industry and it's it's grown up uh, without rules. And um, and I think you know we're we're playing catch up in terms of regulation. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, here's a question from Jamie on Twitter: Why aren't we making more of tidal lagoons as a country? Could they solve our energy crisis? Uh, I mean, to start with, they'll just explain tidal lagoons if you can. 
Yeah, tidal lagoons is um, is a really interesting and very old idea that the Romans did it. They they built onshore tidal lagoons. They captured the incoming sea and then they released it to to run mills uh, when the tide went out. And uh, there's a modern version uh, of this which is possible and it's best done offshore. And basically, you impound an area of water by building, let's say, a square of of rock wall. And on the rising tide, you capture a whole bunch of water. And when the tide falls away, you release it through turbines and generate electricity. And it has an enormous potential for us because it's a form of renewable energy that we can actually control. We can schedule it, uh, which helps take away the intermittent issues with being 100% renewable powered. And it's cheaper than nuclear power. Um, it's environmentally benign. We've got a ton of capacity up and down our coast, uh, particularly our west coast where we've got high tides. Uh, it's, a, it's a great idea and has great potential, but the government have their eyes closed to it. Uh, I guess uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that, but it's, um, it's very disappointing. Tying in with you know, renewables and alternative ways of doing things, the world's largest coal port could be powered uh, to be powered by renewables. Well, that's good news. Yeah, I love this story. <laughs> I thought this is the ultimate in greenwash. I mean, yeah. it's a massive port. They're exporting millions of tons of coal every year. And they're going to power themselves with green energy from a nearby wind farm. Wow. Amazing. I mean, pointless. Um, <laughs> you know, well, the, but this is Australia. Come on. Re- what? Re- you mean the, I, I, I'm speechless on this. The Australians are not up to scratch on renewables and, and the environmental agenda are you suggesting here it's just mad isn't it I too mean, busy locking it, up tennis players in hotel rooms it's, it's the ultimate in greenwashing tens of millions of tons of coal being exported through a port that runs on wind energy so that's okay again you have to go back we did, how many times have we talked about this Dale? that somebody in the boardroom said i've got an idea <laughs> let's get on this green bandwagon yeah and nobody around the table when the person advanced this uh, incredibly stupid idea said, I'm sorry, mate, but that's a bit shit. No one said that. I mean, that, and then explained why, because you've just explained in 15 seconds why this is you know, uh, not worth the paper it's written. That's what we're here for, Ian. You're not wrong. Let's move to football. Uh, Rod on Twitter. Come on, Dale. Any signings for Forest Green in this window? Um, no, actually, if we don't lose any of our squad, then I don't think we're going to make any replacements because we're in a good Why place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're not just top of the league, but we've won the most games, lost the least games, scored the most goals, you know, and we play great football. We've got a really cohesive team. Yeah. And I, I just don't think, well, none of us think that we need to make any changes to that. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, do you pinch yourself sometimes, bearing in mind the kind of way that your, your sort of life has sort of panned out in so many different ways um you know from building that first windmill and here you are as the uh chairman of a football club that is flying incredibly high uh, will be promoted at the end of this season is that i mean is there still a moment when you think wow how did that happen nope <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i have no time for that kind of uh, reflection I'm, I'm just busy focused on the stuff that needs doing and yeah. stuff that needs saying and and uh, you know what i see is much more that needs to be done than has already been done so you work in the now the power of now the yeah very much it. very much now and what's coming next rather than where we've come from yeah i mean that is kind of rule one isn't it supposed to be of kind of you know living a pretty good life is that you can't change anything in the I mean, it's an obvious piece of advice but it's so bloody true that <laughs> yet we spend 
Lord knows how many years uh, over the course of our collective lives dwelling on what's happened in the past. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I guess maybe that tends to happen when you're a bit older and you've got less to think about actually doing. So you start to look at what you've done. But, you know, I'm not in that place. I'm in. It's a nice, rare insight into the psychology of Dale Vince here. (laughs) There's a whole new podcast waiting to happen on this. All right, then. Um, I'm not quite with you, but I'm just. Psychology with Dale. (laughs) (laughs) who's in the chair this week i like it yvonne says uh where's the price cap going to land in april the government says it's too early to decide martin lewis says 700 quid on each of our bills what do you think dale i mean you've been over some of this territory but just to reiterate yeah well look gmb had uh good morning britain had uh grant shaps on yesterday instead of me their mistake i reckon and they asked him this question and he's the man on behalf of the government that said oh no nobody knows it's too early to say blah 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 complete bullshit because we do know we've got the mechanism we've got six months of data bar four weeks it's the only missing part of the puzzle so we've got yeah. about 90 percent certainty of exactly what the price cap rise will be and martin lewis has nailed it it's 700 quid so grant shaps is talking rubbish the government are talking rubbish they know it but they're afraid to admit it yeah that's extraordinary isn't it yeah, grant, grant shaps the, the great environmentalist it rhymes with something doesn't it it <laughs> Us, yeah, rise with a few things. Um, I saw this story as well. Teams of scientists setting sail to the hardest place to get in the world. This is Antarctica, and they're trying to investigate how quickly sea levels will rise as global warming is eating away at the, the vast ice sheet there. So there's 32 experts. They're going to spend about eight to 10 weeks on board a, a research ship looking at this. Yeah, this is a great story. I read it a couple of weeks ago, and I was kind of stunned by uh, the jeopardy, actually, of the melting of the Antarctic. Um, and I hadn't realized it. Uh, it's it's less important in the Arctic because it's sea-based ice, which obviously makes sense. But in the Antarctic, we're talking land-based ice, which means it will contribute to rising sea levels. And there's one glacier in particular that they're focused on, which, if it melts, and it's beginning to, will increase sea level by two feet globally all on its own. It's a glacier the size of Britain um, and is shedding 50 billion tonnes of ice into the water every year right now. Uh, and it's a madly threatening scenario. I, I mean, incredibly threatening. I mean, you look at some of the images of this, but I mean, even if you don't see it, just listening to the people in, in these areas of research that that do this for a living. I mean, they're, they're not there for a giggle, right? I mean, they're not there because they want to make some stuff up. We're talking one chunk of ice and a two-foot sea rise globally. I mean, that will inundate all coastal cities everywhere in the world. Here's a story about farmers. I know you have an interesting relationship with farmers. Don't you? So some love you and some... <laughs> it's a love-love relationship. I- indeed. Being paid to rewild land. I mean, that would be... If that works, is that good? Yeah, I think it's a good thing in principle. Absolutely. Because for too long, farmers have been paid to dewild land. They've been ripping up hedges. They've been using pesticides and fertilizers like they're going out of fashion, killing wildlife in all kinds of ways. I mean, uh, just this week, the government made it uh, allowable to shoot wild birds in order to protect birds that are being raised to be shot for example, which is, you know, madness, grouse and partridge and stuff like that. So right now, anybody can go around shooting crows and things to protect these other birds that have been you know, raised so you to be shoot shot. The, shoot the birds in order to make way for the birds that need to be shot. That's madness, isn't it? So yeah, look, I'm all for it. Farmers should be paid differently uh, and incentivized to actually help wildlife yeah. rather than destroy it and compete with it. The actual scheme itself that the government have unveiled is timid. 
and uh, you know is is not anywhere near enough to meet their own objectives. I think they've said they're going to rewild thirty percent of the country or something like that. They have to do yeah. vastly more to achieve that. But hey, this is something at least. And a question to finish on from Hannah on Facebook: Did you see all those pro meat and dairy ads are back on the TV for Veganuary? Does oh, that got- mean they're running scared? <laughs> I missed that because I don't have a TV, but. Uh, but the sounds of it, it means exactly that, you know, and I mean, other signs of that are for a long time now, the meat and dairy industry have been attacking the use by vegan products of traditional, as they see it, meat terms, yeah. like even burger and sausage, you know, they've been challenging the right of people to to call a vegan sausage actually a sausage, for example. But yeah, if they're, if they're out on TV in January, that's definitely what's happening. I think that's good news. Indeed. And that is it, Dale, for our first episode of 2022. Just well, another, 50, another 50 to go. <laughs> I don't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we enjoy this, don't we? So it's, it's not much. like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a great part of the week. So yeah. um, have a good week, Dale, and we'll speak next week. Yeah, thanks, Ian. You too. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically leave a review there as well if you want to get in touch you can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotristy.co.uk and do follow Dale on social media he's on Twitter twitter.com slash Dale Vince or facebook.com slash Dale Vince Zero Carbon East Off